hello and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. So I'm Adam Stones, a data scientist at Company Watch, and today I'm filling in for Joe Kettner, our CEO, who's away this week. But uh, you'll be glad to know that, as always, I'm joined by Nick Hood, financial and commercial risk analyst. Good afternoon, Nick. <laughs> Good afternoon, Adam. And uh, we're recording today's podcast at lunchtime on Tuesday, 31st of May. And we're going to do something slightly different this week. So instead of looking at the economic news in general, we're instead going to look at some profit warnings issued by individual UK public companies. And we're going to see if they hold any insights into some of the headwinds facing the broader economy at the moment. So, Nick, to get us started, you've been the CFO, CEO of public companies. Um, For the benefit of some of our listeners who might not be aware, what is a profit warning? And in general terms, why would would a public company issue a profit warning? Well, I mean, it's actually, um, the the, the basis is terribly simple. Um, There is a... um, uh, an actual and definitely implied onus on the management of listed companies to make sure that the market has the fullest possible information about what is going on in the company uh, as possible. Now, that's normally, um, uh, that that obligation is fulfilled by publishing um, interim accounts and annual accounts and announcing acquisitions, disposals, um, any any major contracts, sort of stuff that goes on. But clearly, if something is going wrong with the trading, then and the profit expectations have changed significantly from what the company has guided the market to expect, then there is an obligation to issue a warning. It's 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 as simple um as uh, so as that, but basically, things aren't going according to plan. Absolutely, absolutely. And as we move through this, we'll um, we'll come on to the many and various and sometimes extraordinarily curious reasons why um, uh, that are that are put out there by management to explain um, why they aren't performing up to expectations. And and I have to say, thank you for your for noting that I've been there um, and done this. And I can also say um, I've also got it wrong in those in those roles. It's incredibly difficult to pitch a profit warning, as many companies um, find out. Um, I wanted to start with a little bit of philosophy before we get into the statistics and then some of the individual cases. And and I had a number of questions to. to Pose because I think it's important that uh, people in risk management uh, positions, as so many of our listeners are, under, you know, can put a profit warning in context. We need to remember that a profit warning is not a uh, prediction of impending financial doom. It's simply a statement of fact about, we told you we we're going to do this and now we're not. We're going to do something different, and this is why. So the questions I find myself asking whenever I read about a profit warning are this this sort of stuff. What does this profit warning tell me about the driver of the car rather than the damage to it that they're reporting? So I'm, I'm saying to myself, are the problems, is this profit warning the result of management's understeering by not spotting or reacting to threats quickly or effectively enough? 
what will the management's reaction to the profit warning do? I mean, might it cause undesirable oversteering? To stay with the motoring analogy. Um, so we may, you know, will this mean ill thought through panic measures dis, you know, that are um, driven by urgency rather than by careful planning? Yeah, by a need to sort of placate the market rather yeah, than sh- address to- fundamental issues in the company. Well, that's right. It's the old thing of, for goodness sake, we need to be seen to be doing something. Exactly. And, and, and how many times have we heard that during the last few years? Well, I know. I, I know. And I also ask myself, um, are the problems behind the profit warning internal or are they external? And to what extent are they beyond management's control? Because management will very frequently suggest that they are unable to influence uh, what, it, what is causing the problem. And, and finally, um, I go back and I, what I want to do when I see a profit warning is to say to myself, what was it that was underlying the original, now admitted to be erroneous forecast? Now, what, what, what has gone wrong here? Was the original forecast overambitious? Was it overenthusiastic? Have the board got rose-tinted commercial specs? Was there a desire to boost the share price for some reason? I think we go no further on on that point. So those are the things that I think you need to think about initially. And and then, in a funny sort of way, let me put my hard-bitten insolvency practitioner hat back on from when I did that full time. And one of the questions that insolvency practitioners always ask themselves when they get handed a case to to sort out is, why has this business failed? And I have to tell you that over 23 years of doing insolvency rescue work, the answer is that in 80% plus of the cases, the answer ultimately was bad management, poor management. And that's not what comes out when you look at what goes wrong in a company. And, And I'm I'm telling you this because this is the context of profit warnings as well. It's the same, it's the same fundamental issues. So when a business fails, people tell me, you know, used to tell me, the directors would tell me, oh, a major customer failed. Well, that that translates to me as they had too many eggs in one basket. There was a supply chain breakdown. Well, maybe they were too hell-bent on sourcing at the cheapest price. There wasn't enough flexibility in the supply chain. They would also say, well, the bank wouldn't support uh, support us, give us extra funding. And, and again, I would tend to say to them, well, it sounds to me like your funding pitch wasn't uh, credible, mm. or you didn't present it very well, or you haven't managed the relationship. Or, you, with, or you've just presided over a weakening weakening balance sheet. You know, all, of, all, of, all of those things, and then press the panic button and expected the bank to, uh, to lobby more money. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you also get the, well, you know, we couldn't cope with the competition. You know, a big, ugly competitor came in and forced us out of the market. Well... Sounds to me like your business model is too fragile. Lack um, of strategic thinking. Lack of strategic thinking, out of date, blah, 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 blah. Now, why do I say all of that? It's because running a business and the problems that occur, as they inevitably do, is that it's all about risk management and risk mitigation. And that's what our audience is, is doing. And it's what executives more generally should be mindful of at all times, but too, too frequently are not. And when you come into the sort of 
really extraordinary times that we're in at the moment. These days, it's also about not just risk management, it's about change management. It's, you know, it's really, it's really simple. Um, absolutely nothing is is routine, or at least the, I suppose there must be a few businesses out there where it's routine, but I think you know. that, I think there must never have been a period where the management skills of executives have been tested as much as they have over the last few years with the pandemic and the, and and everything that's happened since. Yeah, I think that's right. So, I mean, I think that's enough of me philosophizing, but I just wanted to put some context on the whole profit warning thing. We're not talking about the death of companies. We're talking about them um, misstepping or pausing on the edge on the edge of the precipice and saying, oh, my goodness, things aren't going well. Now what do we do? Mm. And managing uh, expectations of investors. Managing expectations. So shall we move on to what prompted all of this, Adam, yes. which was the... Yeah, which was the EY Parthenon report, wasn't it? So EY Parthenon have been collecting uh, data on, on UK profit warnings now for, for 20 years. And every quarter, I think I'm right in saying, they they issue a report. And, and, and the report for Q1 2022 is called Crisis as Usual. <laughs> and uh, it goes through it goes through the profit warnings or, or high level statistics of the profit warnings uh, in Q1 22 and what the main drivers were. So, Nick, have you got any juicy statistics uh, for us from that? <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, as you said beforehand, Adam, when we were talking about this this recording, I mean, it's actually not an exceptionally high quarter in in historical context but there were 72 listed company uh, profit warnings in that quarter which is the highest since q2 2020 which was the first quarter really badly affected by uh, by the pandemic um it's to be fair 44 percent up on q1 2021 probably because sensible um companies had got the warnings out of the way earlier and by the beginning of 2021 we were in a much better position to know where we were going absolutely i think i think in in a a funny sort of way even though in in q1 2021 we were still very much in the pandemic um and and now you know a lot of a lot of that a lot of the immediate health concerns at least in the uk of the pandemic have subsided particularly in terms of consumer confidence and the health health aspect of that um we were in we were in a sense in more certain territory, weren't we, back in yes. back in, in Q1 2021. Yeah. We and, knew and, we had and, a vaccine, we knew we had a pandemic, and we knew that we had to we had to deal with it. And there was yeah. always the risk of a new variant and so on. But now I think we really don't know how things are gonna how things are gonna play out over the next No, and we've got we've got the new factors of like Ukraine and the Absolutely uh, and, and the China shutdowns um and of course completely rampant um unprecedented inflation. Um it, what's also interesting in the EY figures was that out of those 72 profit warnings, over a quarter, 28%, had this was at least their second profit warning. In the year, in in the in the prior twelve months, twenty eight percent of them had warned previously um, that things weren't going well. So this was a second bite, or even a third bite. At the- uh, yeah, I was I was going to say actually that EY do point out on their on their profit warnings console, they do point out that it's those multiple warnings; those are the ones to watch. Actually, that when when a company uh, when a company issues three warnings in a twelve month period, 
often that's an indicator um not by certainly by no means always but often that's an indicator that there might be some sort of restructuring or maybe uh, a keyboard member leaving uh, you know some yeah. sort of change ahead because maybe the company hasn't grasped uh you know taken by the scruff of the neck those issues that that led to the first profit warning indeed indeed um ey also um helpfully provided a breakdown by sector of these 72 warnings and unsurprisingly um the sector with the largest number of warnings was retail which uh being a sector i know inside out or as, or as inside out as anybody ever does um the, the answer is they are very you know, it's a sector driven by top line performance and so they are very quick to warn when that top line performance doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't measure up um, and of course they are very badly affected by supply chain issues and by cost inflation um the and 17% of all FTSE retailers issued a profit warning in that quarter. Mm-hmm. 17%, that, one in seven. That wasn't the highest, was it, as a proportion by sector? <laughs> well, well, no, because um, personal care, drug and grocery companies, which sounds to me remarkably like um, another bit of retail. Yeah, I um, agree. There were, there were six profit warnings, and that was 35% of all the FTSE companies in that, in that sector. And um, interestingly, again, unsurprisingly, two thirds of all the retailers who warned cited supply chain disruption or cost issues. So we've got that. And the um, the second highest sector in terms of um, profit warnings was one that uh, EY described as industrial support services. Which covers a multitude of sins, and we're going to we're going to talk about a couple of retailers and a couple of people in that industrial um, support services um, part of the uh, part of the economy as we move on. Um, and and the last thing I think we should pull out of the EY report is um, they published um, an interesting uh, infographic about the five reasons for for profit warnings, and we can you know after this we can play profit warning bingo. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, about these and see whether see how often they, they pop up in people's explanations. Um, the uh, no no shock at all. Forty three percent of all the warnings cited increasing costs and overheads. And that's a record in the last twenty years. The only shock really is that it's not higher. I think you were saying. I think that's right. Um, a drop in revenue was thirty eight percent. Coronavirus generically was quote, was quoted as a reason in 29%. Supply chain issues only in 22%. I think when they do the next quarter, that'll be higher. Um, I'm, I'm sure it will be. Higher. And um, another reason that was heavily cited was delayed or discontinued contracts. One in five. Yes, yes I saw this. And it, would that be businesses really cancelling uh, contracts? Sounds to me like construction. I'm always I'm always mindful of, of one of Joe's favorite topics, which is business business investment. And uh, I know that I know that the the item club EY's item club pointed to 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 falling business investment or falling growth at least in business investment and indeed growth in consumer in consumer um, spending indeed. falling growth indeed. in consumer spending. Yeah, so that's. Um... That, that uh, those are the sort of overall headline figures, and and I I wonder, Adam, uh, whether we might 
post um uh, to, get, to go with this when we when we put this out on social media um we might post a link to the ey profit um pro, uh, profit warning report for oh, this absolutely. quarter we'll do that I think that would be sensible um now we um we thought we would look at some individual cases um i, I think we found five and i've got um uh, a dishonourable award right at the end, which we're not going to discuss in detail for the for the least sensitive profit warning of we the quarter. Just that we're only we're only pointing we're, we're pointing to these specific examples of companies for what they can tell us about the wider economy. We're yes. not necessarily we're certainly not uh, expressing opinions on the company themselves. <clears throat> no, uh, exactly. Now the um, I mean I should. I should mention it's uh, you know you you picked up from the EY report, Adam, this thing about um, three profit warnings and, and you're in danger of being out. And I'm I'm mindful of of, of bowdlerizing that wonderful quote about um, um, about losing one one wife could be considered a misfortune. Um, uh, losing two seems like carelessness, but three. Um, not, not a quote I've heard before, actually. Nick, so. uh, I think it, I think it's an Oscar Wilde quote. Okay. Um, but um, it's interesting. The uh, there are a number of uh, people who've been through three profit warnings in the last year, um, of which poor old Ocado, um, who can't seem to do anything <clears throat> anything uh, right, because when you know when everything was going swimmingly, they then had a fire at their key distribution centre. Yes. So yes. that was one of the profit warnings, um, and the and, and the fashion retailer um, Jewels. Yeah. Is another Absolutely. one with, with three. But uh, the, the... actually, Jules was quite an interesting case because in their profit warning, they actually gave some quite current information and they, they actually said that, well, I quote, market conditions have become more challenging during and following the Easter period as consumer confidence has been impacted by the rising cost of living. So yeah. that's actually those, those cost issues, companies trying to pass them on. And indeed, of course, the energy, the energy, energy costs. But that's oh, yeah. it seems like that's really starting to have an impact on demand. And, and that's only going well, well, to be exacerbated. Well, I think that's right, because funny enough, you know, the, the, the government busy, uh, you know, very, very commendably throwing loads of money at uh, consumers about their energy costs. But but of course, as, as Joe and I re- repeat endlessly on these or have been for the last two or three months, the problem is there is no protection for businesses about their energy costs, except mm. to the extent that they've bought energy forward at fixed uh, costs. And of course, those arrangements run off eventually. And then there's a really unpleasant correction <clears throat> to, to the cost profile of some businesses. Yeah. Yes. Um, we started with Boohoo, didn't we? We looked yeah. at Boohoo, um, another um, another online um, darling of the early stages of the, <clears throat> of the pandemic. And they've now issued two profit warnings um, fairly recently, one in December last year and, and now one at the beginning of uh, this month on the 4th of May. Um, and, and they sort of really seem to have picked up, oh, you know, the, the quite a range of problems. They talk about um, sourcing and freight. Um, the CEO called it freight-related headwinds. Um, he said, we can't get parcels are parcels quickly enough um uh, they and because they're in the process as many companies are of redesigning their supply chains not onshoring but nearshoring mm-hmm. so they're moving 
to manufacture in North Africa and, and Turkey rather than the Far East. And of course, clearly that does not come without uh, operational disruption and financial cost. Yeah, the key thing being, the key point being that uh, from the North Africa and to, from North Africa and Turkey, the, the goods can come by truck rather than yeah. by ship. Indeed, indeed. They also talk about um, uh, elevated return rates and stock management issues. And of course, this is a company, um, uh, it, it's easy to say, well, it's it's been incredibly difficult to manage inventory through such a disrupted period. But of course, this is a company, and, and it's, a, it's another thing that risk managers should always keep an eye out for. This company is changing dramatically as it's picking up online brands mm-hmm. of failed businesses like Debenhams, uh, Karen Miller, and all sorts of other businesses. And um, you came up with some extraordinary stats about what's happened to their working capital and their inventory levels um, as, uh, as, as, a re- as a result. Absolutely. So on, on their working capital, and um, I should stress here that they use another definition of working capital in their, in their annual report, but I'm referring to working capital as being their the current assets less the current liability. That's fallen actually. So at the end of February 21, that was 197 million, and now it's minus one million. So, and their cash position has deteriorated substantially. So at the at the end of Feb 21, they had 276 million pounds of cash. Now they have 101.3 million pounds of cash. So they're still liquid. But if you if you look, they they were using a rolling credit facility, and they'd drawn down a hundred million. So they've basically got no cash of their own. They're they're reliant on a or very little cash of their own. They're reliant on a rolling credit facility that they've now extended actually or upgraded. So they now have a three hundred twenty five million pounds credit facility. And um, where has that cash gone? Well, it's gone on capital expenditure, and and actually some of their international issues have have highlighted the need for. Um, I think they're building a distribution center in the in the US. Mm. Um, so they've they've built two new distribution centers. They've automated their their uh, distribution center in Sheffield, and they've also bought a London office. But they've also spent an awful lot of money building up stock. And they say they've had to build up stock to to service their brand portfolio. They're expanding brand portfolio that you were talking about. But their inventory has gone from just shy of 145 million at the end of 21 to 280 million or nearly 280 million at the end of Feb 22. And the turnover rate of the stock has has decreased substantially. So they were turning stock over every 30 days um, in in the year to 20 uh, February 2021. Now that's jumped up to 50 days. So I think they're yeah. going to have, or they may well be having difficulty clearing their stock. Um, and yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to get rid of that stock at, at the at the, the value well, they were hoping. Well, especially the stuff that's been re- been returned. So, so I mean, I think what you're you're looking at here is a company that um, is expanding and changing in a time of great flux generally around them and it just shows and from a risk management point of view i mean nobody's i don't think anybody would suggest the boo is about to go bust because clearly it isn't but what you have got is a huge amount of strain going on with you know within the company and from a risk management point of view i i guess it would influence 
the um, the way that risk managers would would think about it. And uh, it's just this is like a poster child of what can happen um, in in these situations. Uh, you know, they talk about cost management because obviously buying all these brands. Um, they talk about scaling recent acquisitions that have already received significant investment. Um, and they're saying overheads across the group can be leveraged. Well, um, my experience of controlling, um, I mean, I was a, a senior partner in a firm that went from um, five offices to 74 offices in the space of two and a half years. I cannot begin to tell you the fun and games of trying to keep costs under control in that situation. An expansionary situation. Expansionary situation. And, and, and of course, ultimately, the, the other thing they talk about in their profit warning is, is subdued well, they talk about uncertain consumer demand. Um, I think they mean subdued consumer yeah. demand. So, so I, mean, I think I mean, we still don't quite know what the impact's going to be as the as the year unfolds. I mean, we're talking about the delay, weren't we, before we came on? And there's there's some nice work done on this in the in the OBR's latest economic and fiscal outlook, where they talk about the delay in input costs, um, out um, input costs to manufacturing, and how long it takes for that to hit. Output prices and then and then consumer goods prices. And the lag is typically one month for the first, and then five months. So it takes five months for input costs to reach the consumer. There's a delay in passing in passing there on those costs. There, there is, and, and remember the last set of ONS numbers for inflation, which Joe and I talked about, I think last week, um, where the um, uh, manufacturers are talking about having eighteen point seven percent worth of input cost inflation in their system, which will eventually come out the other end. It will end up with consumer, as you say, in <clears throat> five, maybe more months than that. So it's a thing. Yeah, let's move on to a- <clears throat> AO World, white, white good, uh, goods online um, sales yeah. giant <clears throat> here. Two profit warnings, um, the most recent in uh, April <clears throat> uh, this, this year. And and in in a way, this is unremarkable um, in the sense that they talk about inflationary cost pressures, they talk about logistical challenges in the supply chain, and you know the old consumer problem, the escalating cost of living for <clears throat> consumers. So they've they've got um, all of the boohoo problems, but perhaps not quite so much disruption. But nonetheless, it was enough to tip them into um, in, in into a profit. Uh, warning, and of course they're in a position in the market um, where uh, you know th- their products are for many people as the cost of living <clears throat> and bites into uh, into people's personal financial situations. You know, even a cheap fridge is more than a lot of people are going to be able to uh, afford. Never mind a fancy fridge freezer, <clears throat> and and so they are you know quite badly exposed to the current situation. Um, on that I, I think let's not say more than that about that we then had a couple of um <clears throat> professional services firms these are that, really interesting aren't they i know and what you get here first of all is um what i would describe as a law firm consolidator um it's listed under the uh under the name of ints um which is one of the brands the law firm brands they have a number of brands including clyde and co who uh, firm i knew very well who are very heavily focused in shipping and um they warned 
earlier this month, well, only just earlier this month, last, week. last week, and they talk about, um, and, 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 and bear in mind a simple fact, and it'll become even more relevant when we get to the second law firm, is what a law firm does is it sells time. It sells time. If it hasn't got staff um, to produce enough um, rechargeable hours, the answer is it cannot generate revenue or service its its clients. Um, So it's... it's not selling goods, it's selling time. That's what a professional services firm like uh, like this one does. And so they warned, um, they talked about COVID-19 impacting the UK market at the end of November 21. They talked about COVID in Hong Kong and mainland China. They have offices in that region, so they were affected. The Ukraine conflict has affected global shipping, which heaven knows was in enough turmoil because of the... I think the figure you had, wasn't it, uh, Adam, that shipping costs had risen by a factor of six times. Yeah, again, yeah. in that OBR report. So they had a they had an index. Um, they had an index of um, industrial uh, input commodity prices, and that had risen 50% since January 2020, so since uh, pre-pandemic. But the shipping cost index had... had, had uh, Increase sixfold. It's just it was off the chart, wasn't it? I just I, I can't understand how any business can can absorb <laughs> absorb a cost like that. It's just- well, Joe and I have talked about that many times, and I think there are many businesses that, uh, that that can't absorb it and have had to change their whole business model as a result. And the last of the four factors that Ince mentioned was they had a cyber attack um, uh, when they were in the middle of migrating um, IT systems in Asia. Hmm. which they, they say has been disruptive. They say the costs are all covered by insurance. Um, but but it, uh, again, in a modern law firm, um, the IT systems, to use that slightly crude old-fashioned term, are absolutely crucial, and particularly when you've got working from home. Hmm. So it's, if the strain, it's the strain that it puts on management sometimes as well, isn't it? You know, I hmm. mean, they're, they're facing all of these issues, the first three issues you raised, and then on top of that, they have a cyber attack. Yeah, just, yeah. It could be, you know, it strikes me as, you know, if I if I was a manager, oh goodness me, you know, I have to deal with this as well. The straw that broke the camel's yeah. back, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's breaking the back in this case, but no, no, no but it's just oh, it's the last thing to deal with. It, you know, it was the last thing they needed. Yeah, um, exactly. The, That's the way to put it. The second of the of the professional services firm law firm called Knights, um, and. Here, this is this is the most bizarre thing. The profit warning uh, in uh, March this year simply blame, blamed staff sickness. Simply said they didn't have enough people to generate enough hours, to generate enough revenue. Therefore, they're warning on profits. Um, uh, it, it, absolutely mind blowing. Um, the simple and shouldn't shock anybody. They, they stress they stressed the the the, the you know. Um, they're not benefiting from a faster return to office working and the consequent advantages of their team-based culture. Yeah, they do. They do. 
they do. Um, don't get me started about um, collegiate cultures in uh, in law in law firms and what happens when they list on stock markets or consolidate. That's another topic for another day. And the last one we need to look at, conscious of the passage of time and the patience of our listeners, is a company, um, I'm not actually quite sure how to pronounce its name, but let's go with Lucico. And they are a wholesaler of lighting products. And they warned uh, on the 4th of May, um, fascinating insight into how supply chains work. They said, we're absolutely fine, but unfortunately all of our customers are overstocked. And so they'd cut back orders. And um, uh, obviously, the the customers are overstocked because of falling consumer demand because of um, cost of living rises. And so there they are sitting at sort of somewhere near the bottom of the supply chain, not a manufacturer, but a wholesaler. And their conduit to market has indigestion. Very simple. Very, very, um, very simple. But you, you picked up, didn't you? Um, was it was it there that they were uh, them that uh, were talking about having input cost inflation of twenty five million? Yeah, they were very buoyant, and they sort of nonchalantly say in this uh, profit warning that that those that input cost inflation will be will be fully offset by selling price increases, and they'll receive the full benefit of these increases in Q two twenty twenty two. Well, that might be right, but it strikes me as on the optimistic side. But but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And it's a company that has um, what it calls an adjusted gross margin of 37%, um, which explains why the uh, the, light, the lighting rig you buy for your um, for your new open plan um, area in your um, refurbished house is going to be so blooming expensive <laughs> uh, on that one. So, so those are our individual cases. I, as I said, I have an honourable mention for what is without doubt the least sensitive profit warning of the quarter, which was... This is the funeral services company, Dignity, which, to put it simply, blamed not enough people dying now that the pandemic has eased. Uh, they also mentioned that uh, prices were not high enough. Um, that's another topic for another day um, uh, in that particular market. But they simply said, we're not burying enough people. It's and, quite- hallelujah. Why was that not predictable? I asked myself, but well, you know, I'm, I'm not running. I'm not running that company, and I, and I, and I wouldn't second guess them. And I wouldn't, you know, who who knew what would happen to death rates? It does does highlight the importance, though, of really understanding the businesses that you're working with, yes. and understanding, you know, the different risks that you know we've talked all podcasts about. You know, lots of the risks we pointed out: supply chain, cost, inflation, uncertain consumer demand. You know, they're they're broadly impacting companies across the economy, but. But it's well worth knowing, isn't it? The businesses that you're working with and what their specific risks are. Yes. And they're, they're often there. They're there in writing in the in the annual report. So, so yeah. they really can be investigated. Yes. And I, and I think the, the last thing I would add, add to that, which I think is a brilliant way of summarising it, is that um, I'm sure all of our listeners do know their risks and do, their major risks. They do know where they are. But of course, that knowledge has to be tempered by the reality that um, the position, the market positioning and the state of the markets those risks are in is changing at a, at a rate that none of us have seen before, mm. not in our lifetimes. Not well, lifetimes. I think that's a, a really good way to, to round this off, Nick. So thank you very much, as always, for a very interesting discussion. 
thank you very much to our listeners for for making it through this podcast again and um we look forward to speaking to you again soon i know nick and joe will be back next time i'm not quite sure when i'll be back on but uh, for now goodbye and goodbye nick goodbye